What's up, party people? You know one of the worst things about being a self-employed performer? That's right, it's your tax. If you're sick and tired of collecting all your receipts and guessing your way through your tax rebate, well, I know the people that can remove the stress and make it as simple as five, six, seven, eight. That's right, it's Theat Accounts. They're an accounting company that specialize in working with performers. So they know all the things that we can claim back and it's so simple. You upload your invoices and bank statements to their website and they do all the work for you. It's cheap, it's easy, and once you try it, I guarantee you will not regret it. It has changed my tax life. Just email info at theataccounts.co.uk. That's theat, T-H-E-A-T, accounts. So again, that's info at theataccounts.co.uk. Make sure you tell them you're from the Ins and Outs podcast and you'll get some five-star VIP treatment. You will get treated like a king. Honestly, they've changed my life. They've made it so much easier. They've removed the stress from tax and they can do the same for you. Boom. Do you want an insight into the minds of the industry professionals? Then there's only one place to be. One place to be. The Ins and Out Podcast with your host, Kane Silver. In this episode of the Ins and Outs Podcast, I speak to professional dancer and choreographer Dana Wilson. You might know Dana because she's danced for Justin Timberlake for the past 12 years. And if you've seen him on stage, you've probably seen her on stage too. Uh, Dana is in Los Angeles and I'm here in the UK. It's the first podcast we've ever done, well, I've ever done via the internet. We used an app called Zoom. We lose connection quite a bit, so we have to restart and disconnect to reconnect to make the conversation continue. I've edited that out to the best I can. I hope you get as much from this podcast as I did. Um, I was super fanboy and talking to one of my heroes that I've looked up to for a very, very long time. Uh, Dana also now has a podcast called Words That Move Me Podcast. You can find that on Instagram or you can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please go and check it out. I promise you, you'll love it. Thank you so much, Dana, for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Here is the wonderful Dana Wilson. It says we're recording, so boom, we're in. Hello. Hello, hello. This is very exciting for me. I'm like um, trying to be professional, but secretly a super fanboy. <laughs> so for me, this Thank is you so very, much. very exciting. I'm in your computer. You're uh, yeah, in my computer. You're we're in my together. computer. <laughs> um, it's really weird because I feel like we've only probably met like once or twice, which you probably won't remember because it was a very, very, very long time ago um, when I was living in LA. And I, Would I feel. This have been... Oh, okay. It was, I was living in LA. I lived there for about three years. And it's weird because I was very good friends with uh, Matt and Natalie. And I'd taken your class quite a few times, but I feel like we'd never had the actual chance to like interact. To like really connect. Mm-hmm. Um, I am becoming a person that is better with faces and names. It is not a strength. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm pretty good in short term. Uh-huh. Um, like over the course of one class, I can remember that that's Jennifer. But any amount of time goes by if I don't see Jennifer, especially if I don't see Jennifer in the same place that I met her, yeah. it's really hard for me to on to. So um, I'm getting better. Thank you for that kind reintroduction. <laughs> it's okay. Um, firstly, I'd like to congratulate you on your wonderful new podcast. I, uh, I love it. 
I really enjoy it. It makes me really question my own thoughts, especially the uh, the latest one on fear. And if those who hasn't haven't listened to it, it was for me. It was like a when you keep asking yourself why. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I really get into the layers, like why am I scared? And is it even fear that really is at the heart of a lot of that? Most of the time, no. But it's what we say, right? And it's sometimes what we feel, like actual fear. But at the at the heart of all that, there's probably a lot of made-up stories in our yeah. head. And then some unwanted feelings or some feelings that we want to avoid or some feelings that we prefer to have that we're not finding. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that it resounded with you because it was a fun one to write. Um, um, I don't know what your workflow is. Actually, I would love to know more. But when I work on a podcast, I spend a couple hours making an outline for myself. And then, and I, I know I want to say this. I know I want to touch on this. I know I want to mm-hmm. touch on this. And then I get in front of my computer with that um, kind of structure in front of me. And then I just talk for like an hour and some change and then edit that down to like 20 to 30 minutes of yeah. really valuable stuff. With mine, I tried to touch in through our career, as you're aware, we get to meet with so many wonderful people in all areas of entertainment. So I don't want to limit it to being just dance. And that's why I kind of named it the ins and outs because it's like the ins and outs of the entertainment industry. You know, the dancers aren't the only ones that we care about because the the lighting director might be able to help us or the engineer might be able to help us and learning all their journeys because I believe that'll help us understand ours mm-hmm. so we can be better at our jobs too. And just to give mm-hmm. people an insight into whether they're training to be a performer or they are a performer or they've just got an interest in what our life is really like, they can kind of pick apart who every person I speak to. I don't do any on my own. I always speak with someone with kind of a different, I guess, experience than myself. Yeah, different role and pick apart their brain and ask them questions and hear their stories. And maybe someone who's listening can relate to them and take a bit of inspiration to leave. Or if they hear a journey that say you've gone through then, they can relate that to them and it can motivate them to go, oh, maybe I don't have to do the way Kane says. I can relate to the way Dana says and that makes sense for me. Yeah, for sure. I think like coming from a from the position of all-knowing and all-important doesn't serve me at all. And I don't think it helps the listeners much. Um, I'm very much a student in this life. Yeah. And I've been really fortunate in getting to learn from some really really great people. So I consider it really just a transfer of information. Yes. Not my information, but some information that I'm kind of handpicking as being what I, what I wish would have existed when I was coming up and yes. trying to get it out as, as quick and efficiently as I can. Um, yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, completely. I, I couldn't agree more as opposed to coming across like, I'm God and I know right and this is the way it should be. It's kind of trying to get the listeners to pick up on the experiences that I'm learning through these conversations too. And I'm in a position where I get mm-hmm. to speak to people like yourself and Natalie and people who have, uh, are very respected in their area of work. You know, say Sarah at home who's 16 would never get that opportunity. So I right. would like to share the information with them as well. Right. Super cool. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're in. So firstly... Dana Wilson, yeah. you are 
some would know as a dancer or a choreographer, but I see you more as just a creative soul. I wouldn't look at you and put a pinpoint on it. I'd say that's probably the way that you're seen and advertised, I guess, in a way. But when I listen to your podcast and I look through your Instagram and I look through your creative things, I see more than just a dancer. I, I do wear many hats and I have many interests. Um, I think dance is where I've spent the most time mm -hmm. and it is um, uh, usually what I lead with when I introduce myself, mm -hmm. but it's certainly not, not all there is. And I figured that out through a round of, you know, getting closer or further from it. Um, you know, whether that's like geographically, um, I moved and lived in, uh, the Bay Area for a couple of years. My husband got a job at Apple. So I was mm -hmm. away from LA, away from the industry. I was less involved as a dancer at that time and got, you know, was flexing more of my creative muscles and my instructor muscles. I've been injured before. So of course, at, in those moments, mm -hmm. calling yourself a dancer feels weird when you've, you know, you're holed up, n not moving. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose I am more than a dancer. And that is feels like such self-flattery because it is so cool to be a dancer more than a dancer it feels a little bit like you know a little nose in the air but yeah on a technicality i do so much more than moves yeah i couldn't agree more um i find you from seeing you around when i was in la a lot and every kind of experience i had with you whether it was with you or being taught by you or seeing you interact with others you are very always positive and very uplifted and I feel like you always had your 100% attention given. Do you feel like that's because you just love what you do or is it something that you really work on? Oh, man, that is a really good question, right? The, at the core of that question is this nature versus nurture thing. Like, uh -huh. am I just that way or is that an active effort? Was that something I learned along the way? Um, I have a famous quote <laughs> when I was young. My favorite, or my famous quote was, I don't want to go to dance. And that would usually be shouted, screamed, or cried at the top of my lungs. Um, my parents actually, when I was very small, they called me the hornet because I apparently was very angry a lot of the time. Yeah. So maybe this is just like me rounding out the human spectrum of emotion. Um, because when I was young, I was so angry and or sad um i i do default to cheerful um and it's not something that i work on although lately i've gotten a lot better at being watchful of my thoughts and being deliberate in the thoughts that i choose or to meditate on and like the, the thoughts that i actively put forward but yeah by default i am really lucky in having found dance, which is the thing that I love to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also been very lucky to get to move around to different cities and work on different things that help me flex my muscles and further expand my tribe. So it really is probably a combination of everything. By default, I'm a cheerful person. And then by circumstance, I've found these really awesome projects and awesome people that help me stay there <laughs> uh -huh. um that's so dope that you've managed to do that because i feel like you're uh well we're very fortunate because i've happened to have the same yeah. kind of experiences not everyone gets to 
find those people where you know your tribe is your vibe yeah um, well said you surround yourself with those people and it's going to make you happier it's going to progress you as opposed to going well i like that person but then we're not on the same wavelength you know you're more likely to be attracted to that but yeah. i want to go back to the beginning for you what why do you dance how did you dance what what introduced you to the world of what we do cool great question um i think at the very beginning so my mom put me in dance when i was three years old and i had an older sister who was three years old when she started dancing so i actually was born into you know dance was already part of the family's routine mm -hmm. and i just got plugged in as soon as i could walk and not pee my pants um <laughs> so i think at that time my mom had seen dance as more of um an extracurricular or something more exciting than an average daycare program or something like that mm -hmm. also we're not a big sports family so like soccer or lacrosse wasn't in the cards really it was like go to yeah. dance class that's what we did um and that you know i had my i don't want to go to dance moments mm -hmm. but ultimately if we zoom out i liked it i liked to perform I have a knack for um, storytelling and I've always been, I've always enjoyed the storytelling component of dance, perform, mm -hmm. the performative element. So I was never the best technically at anything and I had my bouts with insecurity and like being placed in a competition dance environment yeah. that had moments of being really helpful or really hurtful. but. Ultimately, I've always really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't until I was about maybe 15 or 16. Um, there's a woman who, if you don't know her, if you haven't had her on the show, her name is Nina McNeely. Mm -hmm. And she is a brilliant choreographer, creative director, video editor, um, director, director, and dancer who went to my dance studio that I trained at, Michelle Adamer Dance Academy in, um, in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she, was just she was and is this magical force i would say unicorn but she's a dark force she is like <laughs> oh she's very special please dig into her work anyways she moved to la or she was the first person that i was very close with that moved to la and made that just look like the coolest thing mm -hmm. and i was like I want to do that. And I'm sure you can relate because we're similar in age. At that time, so this is like early 2000s, the stuff happening with music was very, you know, in pop, in our pop culture, mm -hmm. was very music video heavy. Music videos were heavily choreographed. Mm -hmm. Dancers, pop stars, like this was a thing. And so I watched MTV and I was like, I want to do that. I want to be a backup dancer. Specifically, um, all things JT and then oddly enough this might surprise you or your listeners but <laughs> um, there was a, a B2K video bump 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 what a Baby, turn around and let me. yes I was like I want to do that and my mom was like God please no <laughs> but um, it was it was that time and Nina specifically that made me feel like I could do that and I want to do that. And 
ever since I was probably 14, I'd been taking trips over fall break to LA, taking class at Edge and Millennium and getting acclimated to the professional world, in quotes, from a pretty young age. So when I decided to move to LA at 18, it was it was pretty natural. I moved out here at the same time as three of my best friends. So there was never a like a feeling of drowning or being in a yeah. completely new world. Because I knew it well enough. I had my friends. Oh, yeah, I wasn't alone. So that was that was huge. Um, I also, when I moved to LA, I, I was working for Urban Outfitters at the time. Ooh, retail. Shout out to anybody working retail right now. I feel you. Um, so Urban Outfitters transferred me. There was a store in Colorado and I started working immediately when I got to LA. So there was a, a money bridge. I was never like without income. Um, and I just did the hustle, the audition. You know, I worked in evenings and I auditioned during the day, took class at night. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the LA drive, right? Just go there yeah. and hustle it out. How long would yeah. you say it took before you kind of found your feet within the dance industry there? It was exactly, well, almost exactly a calendar year before I booked my first dance job. Um, and that was a contemporary company, believe it or not, um, artistic directed by Mark Miesmer. It was called Evolution and it only existed for one season. I don't, it, it was a unicorn. Yeah. Um, Evolution was a unicorn. I was dancing with Nick Lazzarini, Travis Wall, Mandy Moore was on the company, Jillian oh, wow. Myers, Amanda Balin. I'm, I'm forgetting a, a million names, but it was- I mean, that alone is impressive. Bunch. Oh gosh, it was it was incredible. It was such a cool time, um, and that was my f that was a full time job. We had ballet class at ten in the morning. We rehearsed all day long, and we did a couple weeks worth of shows. I think in Orange County, and that was enough for me to officially quit my day job. Although Urban did keep me on payroll for about a year, I was receiving that 40% off employee discount to pop in and cover a shift or, or if anything ever came up. Oh, that's super dope. Within that year of going there, what was your- Yeah, a whole year, it's a long time. It is, and I feel like we're in, especially now, we're in more of a society and an era where if things don't happen instantly for people, then they, they believe that it won't happen at all because we live in such an instant world now. Like, I'm talking to you from the other side of the planet. That's the world we're in now. Whereas I believe, you know, in the 2000s, we didn't have that <laughs> so yeah. much, the early 2000s. Yeah. Like, a year then, it's a long, it feels a long time now, but then it's not a long time. It took me a year before I booked like my first, or would I say, not until I booked my first job, but until I found my feet within the dance industry and things started becoming a bit regular. And in the yeah. at the time, it felt like a long time. But now if I think of a year, that's nothing. But I know right. so many up and coming dancers, which get to like four, six months in and go, oh, I can't, it's not, I can't hack it. I'm crap. I'm not yeah. good enough. And they yeah. don't trust the process. I think you're right. I think it's, it's, well, the geography I should mention of how we get work has changed a lot mm -hmm. since then. That was 2005 when I moved to LA. And yeah, so much, I mean, uh, techni technical, whoa. Whoa. technologically, a lot has changed. Um, the way we get work has changed a little bit um, since the advent of the Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the time it was expected, you know, you, you, 
earn your dues. Um, and that same thing is true now, except now we're looking at all the time other people quote succeeding and doing it. I think we were all, I think we were all always working like this before. It's just that now it's in our face that other people are working and we just happen to be sitting on our couch, not working while we're looking at that. So it feels even doubly offensive because we're like, look at them do and look at me sit here and not do, which of course is a perpetuating cycle. The more you sit and not do, the less you will do. A year is not a long time to work on getting work. And once that ball is in motion, it really does keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's timeline is different. A year might be a long time, a year might be short, especially for people who started a little bit later. I started dancing when I was three, mm -hmm. and it still took me a year to book my first job once I got out into the, you know, the professional world. So yeah, everybody's timeline is different. And I think I mentioned this on a podcast episode once before, but we are comparing our chapter one to other people's chapter 30. 100%. You know, I'm at chapter one auditioning every day and I'm looking at somebody who's been working for years and years and they're working regularly. I'm like, what's the, what, what's the matter with me? Well, <laughs> yeah. a lot of chapters in between. 100%. So yeah, I, I'm all, I'm all for taking as long as it takes, man. That's, that's how long it'll take. <laughs> um, I hear, I was listening to a podcast earlier um, with Joe Rogan and he was speaking to a UFC fighter and he said that the, every, every person who, well, every victory is possible for those who don't give up. Do you know what I mean? And to me, I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Like yeah. it might take someone much longer than someone else, but as long as you don't quit, it's still the possibility of it having, having that to succeed. For sure. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, P.S. is like, is podcast God. Basically everyone I've talked to, every time I say I have a podcast, people are like, oh my God, Joe Rogan. Uh, I have yeah. not listened to his podcast. I'm really? My favorite thing about his is that he doesn't stick to one uh, specific kind of conversation. He speaks to everyone who inspires him, no matter what they do. So it's Great. So one minute you're listening to maybe a UFC fight and then the next minute you've got a politician and then you've got the person who like Elon Musk. So it's very diverse. It's quite exciting. Um, I, I suppose I'm a little bit late to the podcast game. I have so much catching up to do. I know I'm like, I've got to do it. Yeah. What inspired you to start your podcast? That is a great question. Um, my podcast actually existed in its first incarnation as a book. Um, two years ago, I wrote a book and that book was called Words That Move Me. Ah. And it, uh, the book is a collection of quotes, short stories, kind of my lessons learned in the industry. Mm -hmm. And um, I got an illustrator, did the illustrations. She's fabulous. I got an editor. She edited, oh my God, I'm a hot grammatical mess. Um, I got a lawyer who was helping advise me on some intellectual property stuff. And she um, mentioned to me that it'd be very wise. I get written permission from every single person that I mentioned in the book. And so I put out a, a fleet of letters asking for permission from all of the people that I quote in my book. And I heard back from exactly no one. 
lovely except for maybe my own mother who was like honey does it really need to be in writing well just when you come home i'll just i'll put it on a napkin you know when when you come (laughs) home for christmas i'll give you it was like really hard to get written permission to use people's quotes in a book so um i decided to put that aside um and then I had a really busy working year, uh, worked on a couple of films. I was in New York, like nine months, didn't even, I would say didn't even think about the book, but that's not true. Didn't open, didn't crack the file on my computer, didn't think about it, didn't take a note. I was kind of wounded and healing, I guess. Um, and then I got back to LA after my stint in New York and was working with a coach who prompted me, what's something that you've been avoiding lately? Like, what have you been avoiding doing? And I was like, oh God, the book. <laughs> so I, I opened the file on my computer. I was using um, Adobe InDesign mm-hmm. and I opened the project file and I just kept a pad of paper to my right. I wasn't gonna edit anything inside the file because I wanted to just exist and I was gonna just track my thoughts off to the side. And as I was reading, I was very surprised that A, I still liked it. I was yeah. like, oh, these are some good stories. These are some good ideas. But as I was writing, I was like, these are these are monologue, these are episodes. These are these yeah. are short stories. These are little episodes right here. This is a podcast. This isn't a book. This is it's not even about the quotes. It's about the lessons. And so I have a 150-page book that I'm basically breaking into a year's worth of podcast episodes, and then I'll interject those with interviews with either with some of the people that spoke the quotes that the book mm-hmm. is includes, like Tony Basil, for example, mm-hmm. my fellow seaweed sisters, um, uh, some art world buddies of mine, some actor world buddies of mine, mm-hmm. and then also like my mom, my friend, yeah. my, my, the building manager where I live, you know, some other randos in there, but I'll occasionally have guests, but for the most part, it is about those nuggets of uh, lessons learned. So that's how the podcast, podcast came about. Podcast came right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. That's dope. Um, when you started writing the book, did it start off as just a journal or were you like, I'm going to write a book? I always, I, I kept a collection of quotes like in, an, in a note on my phone since I can remember. I've always loved, you know, a little, a little kick in the butt is always helpful. And I've had, I don't know, this is probably very much my personality. I love a mentor. I love having a person that will kick my butt. And I've been really fortunate to come across in different disciplines those type of people. One being an acting teacher of mine, Gary Imhoff, who, if you're in Los Angeles, his class is called the Professional Artists Workshop, and he's ridiculous. He's so great. I have a spin teacher that is like the messiah of spin, and she's so great. Her name is Tevia Selly. Um, Tony Basil, one the original lockers, the woman that sings Hey Mickey. She's another mentor of mine. Um, Marty Kadelka, who choreographed for Justin Timberlake for many, many years, another mentor of mine. So these are people with quotes that were popping up in my book all the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it would be a book. It was just, you know, my little one pager for inspiration. But that one pager turned into like a 25 pager. Yeah. And so I was like, this this is a book. And then I was like, this isn't a book. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it could turn into an audiobook. 
I think it will actually, after the podcast is done, I'll have every episode transcribed. Bingo. Um, when you, first, so you moved to LA, it took a year for you to book your first job. Were you already with an agent by then? Yes, actually. I was, um, at the time I had already, as I mentioned, I knew a couple people in the industry. I had already started training with Marty Kadelka through the convention circuit, Monsters of Hip Hop. And I assisted him in his classes. He ultimately, he brought me into his agency with him one day and was like, this is my, you know, Mm -hmm. new student chick. She's great. And by the time we left that day, I had signed with Block. So that was, that was how it worked for me. Certainly an atypical um, experience as far as getting representation goes. But I mean, that still works. It still happens that way. I refer probably four people every every year to my agent i just send them an email that's like this person is on my watch and work with list check them out and then if that person's materials look good and mm-hmm. if they you know fit the description of what the agency is looking for then which is people that are great uh then there they go that's it's it. really it's really interesting isn't it I, I feel like before you get an agent it's like the next biggest thing it's like i need to get an agent like it's like the go-to. It's like you're in your head. You're like, once I get an agent, I'm gonna make it. That's gonna be right. the be all and end all. Um, I remember coming to LA in I think 2012, maybe, and I went for a meeting with MSA, and I was about to sign with them. And then it was Matt Elwood's birthday, so I went to see him at Wolf Slayer. This like in Hollywood. So this is a long time ago. Um, oh yeah. And, and I didn't know anyone really in LA. He was like the only person I knew, him and Natalie. So I went to see him and then we were talking and I happened to start speaking to this girl next to me. And she was like, What's that paperwork? Because I had like a big file of papers. And I was like, It was a contract for MSA. She was like, Have you thought about meeting anyone else? And I was like, No. And she's like, Oh, well, I work at Block. So it was Laura who used to work at Block. And she's like, I can introduce you. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and that was my original dream. Like I'd love to be with Block. It's with all my favorite dancers who they're signed with. And I remember going to meet them and it was like walking in and I was like, my world's just changed forever. Like, Dude, just like that. Just like that. And it was like, you know, no, no disrespect to MSA. And I was like, oh, perfect. There's an agent. That's the go. And then you speak to one person in a bar and they're like, oh, I can introduce you to Lainey and Brenda. And I was like, yeah. okay go in and as soon as i signed got my, applied for my visa i was there within a year and in your head i was like my whole world's changed but yeah i guess being an having an agent doesn't actually mean that you're gonna <laughs> get all this work and i think for younger dancers that's their biggest step to go i need to get an agent it's a bit different in america to the uk like here we're only allowed we're in america sorry you're only allowed one agent whereas in the uk we're allowed as many as we like yeah yeah, that dynamic is very curious to me. I don't know how that how that works. It must make things very competitive. Um, on on the subject of agents and agencies, there's so much changing and so much change around the way we get work right now that I is changing so fast. I don't even know what to say about it. So I'll just speak very personally. Having a having a solid relationship with my agent which means i'm pretty constantly in touch with them i send them work that comes my way even if it doesn't get to them first mm-hmm. i send it to them it's just part of what builds good rapport and it's what makes a strong team and that's what i feel good about so although the, there is a lot changing in that space 
a lot of work is coming directly to dancers, like through Instagram. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know, that's very much a real thing. Um, but I feel best when I, when I keep it classic and work through my agent for sure. Yeah. And obviously the better relationship you have with them, the more you're going to work together and help each other get the things to help you both succeed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Couldn't have said it better. So oh, the real question I want to know, because you've mm. lived, you've lived my dream. How did What's you, your dream? How did you, uh, obviously you said that you had a, a relationship with Marty Kadalka. Was that, uh, I'm assuming that was your stepping stone into working with the one of mighty Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right. And actually, here, I'm going to turn my video on for one second. I'll show you where we are in my house. Um, we're in my closet, and that is where I happen to keep my oh JT my goodness. platinum bags. Um, so I, you, you are not alone in that dream, <laughs> JT is so great he is kind he is professional he is hysterical and he is wildly talented why mm -hmm. would you not want to work with that? it should be the dream um and i'm count my lucky stars every day i walk into my closet and see my plaque hanging there um you are correct in assuming yes my stepping stone to getting that gig um or those gigs, however you want to break that down, is through working so closely with Marty. Um, Marty started working with JT like during InSync. I think Marty choreographed mm -hmm. for InSync. And so Marty is who Justin started working with when he went solo. At that time, I was still in high school, actually, not to date anyone. But <laughs> um, yeah, I remember seeing Justified and Stripped, that tour, when I was in high school and I was in the nosebleeds and I watched those dancers and I like yeah. speaking of bleeds, like I bled yeah. from, I, I have to do that. I love that. Um, so yes, when I, I, I loved Marty's style. I loved the pedestrian quality about it. I love that it speaks to personality in a way that's not like, a typical backup dancer mm -hmm. um, it doesn't lean so heavily on sexy it leans on cool stylized comfortable casual um, all of these things that that really speak to me um, so I took well to his style and then when we got to know each other we took well to each other just as people similar sense of humor um, a similar friend group you know, once I got to LA, my best friend at the time, Misha Gabriel, who you might know, maybe you've had him on the show. Um, Misha was living with Marty. Misha and I used to mm -hmm. do duets. Like we, he's from Colorado as well. Yeah. So right time, right place, right um, people. And I started working with Marty a lot in the form of, in like an assistant role. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day I was assisting him on a, Reese's peanut butter puffs cereal commercial <laughs> and we were on some lot. It was just, it was kids. There were just kids and it was primarily freestyle. We didn't have a whole lot do, but I remember being on some lot with him and we were sitting on a stoop, a fake stoop, like a bunch of fake steps yep. and his phone rang and he answered. He's like, yo, what's up? And he has this conversation and a couple words and oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh yeah, no doubt. 
okay, bet. Right. All right, later. And it was a super quick conversation. Then he turned to me after he hung up the phone. He goes, are you ready? And I was like, for what? Are we going back? We Are we back back on for Reese's? <laughs> Where are we at? Break time over? And he's like, no, that was, that was JT. And I was like, okay. And, and he goes, he's in the lab. He's working on a, another album. And um, I'm definitely going to need some help. Are you are you interested in helping me out and assisting me? So I picked my job off the, floor, off the floor and I was like, yes. Oh my God, yes. What do you need? I will do all the things. Yes. And um, we started working, just Marty and I, in a studio on a couple of the songs. Uh, Sexy Back, I think. And um, maybe he taught me some of the old stuff too. I can't remember exactly, but we started working and then ultimately had a gigantic open call audition, not open call, like a selective Mm -hmm. audition, but still probably 500 people. And I helped him teach the routine. I was on the other side of the table with him, but I did at some point have to like tug his sleeve and and say, I want to dance. Like, did you know that? Did you know that I want to be a dancer? Am I, am I being considered? Mm -hmm. And he was like, what? I just, I assumed you would want to assist because that's like a next step up in the direction of choreographing. He just assumed that I would be interested in being an assistant over being a dancer. And um, I had to say, no, man, I want to dance. I was 19 at the time. You know, that's that's what I, I really thought I should be doing. So once I told him that, he said, well, get out there and audition. <laughs> so I stepped out and um, auditioned with uh, a select group. And then from there, um, you know, pending JT's approval, the, the dancers were cast. And on that first tour, the Future Sex Love Show, I served as Marty's assistant and dancer. So that was a pretty quick zero to a hundred in terms of um, professional work. I had never gone on a tour, let alone helped choreograph for one. So super steep learning curve. But yeah, that's how I started my relationship with JT and the gang. That's quite incredible because I remember you saying earlier on, like, you know, your goal was to be a backup dancer, being a music video. And the thing that inspired you was like the JT, you know, you want to dance with JT and then let alone, then you dance his second tour <laughs> and assistant oh, choreographing it. It's wild. Actually, last month, last month, wow, January, yeah, um, did, an, uh, did a little music video for him on a song he's featured on. Um, the song is by SZA. Um, so I was like, I was like, bro, we are still doing this thing. I've, when did we start? Like seven, 2007, I think. Yeah. I've come up like 12 years. It's over a decade of awesome work for an awesome human being. I really, I cannot sing his praises loud enough. Is it um, like you achieved, I guess, your, what I imagine to be one of your biggest goals mm-hmm. from that job and you've managed to, keep with it ever since has it been hard to recreate that feeling on other jobs to get such satisfaction that's a great question i did struggle for a period um re um resetting goals i guess not resetting as in back to zero but like you know i landed on this 
on the top of this goal and I either stay here and do nothing else interesting with my life or I find another mountaintop to jump to. I find another mountain to ascend. And it did take a little while and some serious soul searching to figure out what that looked like. And um, I did make myself a promise on that first tour. I said, this is not the most interesting job I will ever do. And it isn't, which is crazy that I'm able to say that. Um, I can't say that anything is, has been bigger or, or cooler, but in the, in the traditional sense of cool, like that guy is the, you open the dictionary and look up the word cool and there he is. He's there. (laughs) But, uh, But just different goals. My goals shifted from doing very, large scale projects that reach very many people to doing small projects that might reach fewer people, but reach them in a way they have never been reached. Like, um, I just, I, I guess I went to the opposite extreme. Um, the best example I have of that is the seaweed sisters. My, my absolute passion project, if you can, you probably hear the smile on my face yeah. when I say the word. Um, so, yeah, the Seaweed Sisters and other passion projects, personal stuff, get me at absolutely as excited as working with big stars on big films or big things like that um, because it's entirely mine. You know, it's entirely, yeah. well, in the case of the Seaweed Sisters, it's ours. Yeah. And we build it together. We have freedom. We make the decisions. We, you know, it's, it's ours. I can't, I don't have any other words for that. It's so important. It's so, so cool to feel that ownership because, you know, even, even when you're dancing with a big star, you're, you're dancing for the big star. And even if it's your passion, like, yes, I am dancing for myself. I'm wearing what they want me to wear. I'm dancing to the song they want me to dance to. It is in promotion of the album that they want to sell. It is, you know, it isn't as far as authorship, it's not mine. Um, And so I think it's very special. And and lately my goals are primarily oriented towards my passion projects or helping other people accomplish um, their passion projects, the things that are, entirely theirs um and that's usually in the form of a movement coach or a coach coach or a choreographer of some sort uh, and even your podcast also, will do the same yeah exactly duh obviously <laughs> of course <laughs> um you teach quite a lot as well right you're on convention yes i travel with nycda and um i do i teach occasionally here in la i'm not set in any one slot at any one studio. I like to pop up uh, occasionally, but yeah, I've been with NYCDA since 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good stint with them. Yes. Um, big, big love to Joe Lentieri and the whole NYCDA family. Do you ever see yourself just going towards being a teacher or do you, do you always think you'll have like a performing aspect as well? Man, another really good question. Um, I get a similar rush from teaching that I do from performing Mm -hmm. really, truly it's, I, you know, it's pretty darn close. Yeah. So I, I can't say that if I, if I exclusively taught, I would be missing something. Mm -hmm. That being said, 
I do still have this young and able body and there are things that I want to do with it that I haven't done yet. I, I do, I'm, I'm certainly not ready to throw the towel in on performing. Um, but that said, I get, I'm really fulfilled by teaching. I love doing it. Um, I think I will forever, even yeah. past the expiration of my knees. Uh, <laughs> but I still have my knees there. Hold on. And so I, I, I don't think I'll stop performing anytime soon. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear for us fans. Because um, <laughs> uh, I always think as, as dancers, you know, we're very much under the assumption and quite aware because it's kind of true that our career is quite short on the grand scheme of careers mm-hmm. and, and what mm-hmm. other people do. And unlike, say, an NFL player who also has a very short career, they reap mm-hmm. the financial benefits where they can live forever if they're smart. Mm-hmm. We're, not, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not to that luxury. Right. So we kind of have to keep working. And I feel right. like uh, the assumption is that when you finish performing, you either go to be a choreographer or a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you see yourself doing? Um, those are definitely two natural pathways that I've already inched my way along to to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to get or to continue digging into direction, creative direction, and then also, especially through working on the podcast, I'm loving this, what, what I call coaching, specifically movement coaching, working on the relationship between mind and body mm-hmm. and accessing the body through the mind. Like in working with a lot of non-dancers, yeah. I find that the access point to becoming a better mover is usually not the body. It's yeah. actually the mind. There's some conceptual or like language barrier that's keeping people from feeling like they can really move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been loving that type of work. I'm really digging working with non-dancers, um, specifically actors and some recording artists on feeling ownership over their movement. Um, and yeah, that's coming by way of the mind and just like, getting to know what works and doesn't work for for different types of people so i i see this type of coaching this movement coaching as being the perfect center circle between the two um on the venn diagram of teaching and performing mm-hmm. you are teaching someone to perform yeah and you have to study you have to get very creative in the way that you teach things for people to gel with it um so it's a really creative thing to do and it's super rewarding and uh yeah i've been eating that type of work up the movement coaching is like seriously lights me on fire yeah that's that's dope i always wonder about like what to do next and what's the the next avenue and for me it's always as long as it's serving someone else a purpose as well as myself right that's the kind of go-to for me um, right. and help and helping others and I guess teaching always kind of falls in that category and I For guess sure. so does movement coaching because your your effort is making someone else better and helping yeah. other people at their goals um yeah. as a within your career so far what do you feel like is the what's the most difficult thing that you've come against what are the struggles that like you that test you that make you go oh am I going to get through this one or that really gets on your nerves and how do you get through it yeah um the the uh the thing at the top of my list of things to work on is oh man it's like daily um validation specifically working on not 
requiring external validation. Mm -hmm. And I think specifically as dancers, but in many other fields, in many other disciplines, you're brought up looking to the approval of your teacher. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you do a demi plie and your teacher either says that was good or hits you with a ruler and says, you know, <laughs> Kelly, yeah. shoulders down, you know, lengthen behind the knee, whatever. So I, I've always looked to outside sources for validation. And, you know, we touched a little bit about a little bit on social media earlier, but it's certainly more in your face now than ever. Um, other people's opinions. Yeah. Go ahead and add a couple world tours with thousands and thousands of screaming fans and then ask, like, what do you do when those fans aren't there anymore? Like, there's a lot of work for me to yeah. do around um looking for that type of support and encouragement from myself instead of from other people mm -hmm. and i am getting better at it um i think i'm pretty great i'm getting better yeah. at the, pat, the self pats on the back um but i am a perfectionist and i like most dancers i think when i look at myself and my work i see what i would do differently mm -hmm. before i see what went well yeah. so I'm, I'm working on retraining myself to like really high five and, and pat on the back when I do things. Um, even though I know there will always be room for improvement, but I'm getting better at doing that for myself, giving myself more, um, more stake at, in that instead of other people. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Do you have any hacks for that? <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I think we're, especially we're in a time where if you put up a video and it gets, a thousand likes and 200 comments you know that mm -hmm. that decides whether something's good or not um, right. as opposed to how you actually feel yourself about what you're doing because right i think you said on one of your podcasts you know if you put something up and you're happy with it kind of that then you should kind of be okay with that as yeah. opposed to looking for loads of people to tell you to validate it for you and i think right. that's a great thing because we are in a time where where we post things on social media for other people to give us their approval Right. And are we actually happy with it ourselves? Right. But, but like in the moment before you post the thing, you know if you like it or not. Yeah. You absolutely know if you like it or not, but we pretend like we don't and we <laughs> pretend like everyone else does and we give them that power. It's so disempowering to let other people decide if your work is, is good or bad or good enough. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I am working on that, but I find even with the podcast, I do it, you know, I look at analytics and I see a certain episode, like, let's say for numbers sake, one episode has 500 downloads. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, which was only posted the next week only has 100 downloads. And in my mind, I make that mean I sucked at mm -hmm. making that podcast. Yeah. No. Number one, it means that there are seven days for those numbers to change. Number two, it could mean a thousand other things that aren't, I suck at making podcasts. Yeah. I mean, it could mean I didn't promote this one as much or that I posted it at a different time of day or that the title wasn't catchy as catchy as the other ones. Um, it could mean a thousand things, but definitely doesn't mean that I suck. And as I was making it, I didn't feel like I sucked. Yeah. So why should I feel like I suck after it's, it's been out there in the world? Yeah. Why would that change? I, I so, have to stop looking at my analytics. Oh, did you? Podcast. Yeah. So I used to, everyone I post, say the first like year of podcasting, I'd look and my analytics were going up and up and up and I'd get uh -huh. like kind of celebrities on from the UK and uh -huh. my analytics would go up and then I wouldn't post for two months. 
I wouldn't oh, get yeah. up to it. And I post when my analytics was so low. Yeah. And it, it would get to me and I'd be like, oh my God, like, what Which am I doing wrong? Then. I'm not cool anymore. And it came to a point where I'd be checking so regular to see if it had changed that that kind of became the reason of why I was doing it. Right. And I had to take a step back and say to myself, why did you start this to help people? Mm -hmm. What was Mm -hmm. the purpose that if every episode maybe helps one person, then my job is done. So I just stopped. I've fully stopped looking at my analytics altogether. When people go, or like I've interviewed someone, they go, how many downloads has it had? And I go, I don't know. And they go, what do you mean you don't know? And I go, because that's not why I do it. (laughs) You know, I do it because I enjoy it and I'm learning from this. And if I can learn and help other people learn too, then it's a win-win. Yeah, that's awesome. that's awesome so i had to remove the the opinion of others i guess yeah i think that's a a healthy mentality um i did in my first episode well in what i call episode one which is actually my second episode i talk about a year where i made actually a little over a year where i made a video every single day for over 300 365 consecutive days on instagram Mm -hmm. and that in the episode i talk a lot about what i learned but one of those things, one of the things that I really valued about that was the immediate feedback loop because I am a person that loves feedback. I always have. And Mm -hmm. I even, I take it pretty well. You can be very critical on me and I've got, you know, my ways of processing that. And I find that in general, I'm way harder on myself than outside audiences can be with the exception, however, of people on YouTube, people on YouTube can be really, really awful. I've had, (laughs) I've had some tears because of YouTube, but anyways, um, so I, I, I guess I'm kind of in an in-between. I really like the feedback and I like measurable progress. I like looking and seeing how things are responded and how things change over time. It's like this weird science side of me. (laughs) Um, but I, I do try to take the praise with the criticism criticism sometimes even more um there is a quote and i'm gonna get it wrong but um like your enemies will look for what you do wrong so you'll learn more about yourself from your enemies than you do Mm -hmm. from your friends because my friends don't often tell me you know you could really do better at x (laughs) god i love you you're so perfect this is great and i would i i love improving i love progress so i i do look to the criticism and i look for um you know those drops in engagement for for opportunities to do better but for me the podcast specifically this is like aside from like dance career Mm -hmm. but the podcast alone my goal with that is to make a podcast every single week for a year that is what i said i'm gonna do and i'm gonna do it and as long as i do that i will count that a success that is a win to me, failing is not doing what I said I'm going to do. And yeah. this is what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And I will high five myself at the end. And in, in a whole year of work, yeah, there absolutely will be episodes that maybe miss the mark in terms of my idea of excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am going to do this every single day for a year. You have but, my word. Yeah. But to achieve excellence, you have to have downs, right? Otherwise, everything... For sure. It doesn't become excellent anymore. For sure. Yeah, you, <laughs> have to you have to have some fumbles. Like, I, yeah, I'm still learning my process um, as far as all that goes. And I, I know that a lot will change over time. And I'm so interested. I'm going to go back and listen to your early episodes now. Oh, my because- God. Listen to, like, the first 
10. Like the audio, everything is horrific. I can't wait. Oh, it's amazing. But that <laughs> is how we learn. And um big fan of learning right here. So yeah, definitely in, in all <laughs> yeah. aspects of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh my gosh, I've you're killing it. me. That's so much fun. It's fun to be in the hot seat. Yeah, this. it's lovely to speak to, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. You know, they also say, um, and I am going to do an episode on finding your tribe. Uh -huh. um, they say that you should surround yourself with people that work harder than you do. And from the looks of it, my friend, you work your tail off. And I applaud you. Thank you for being out there hustling and making a thing that's great and filling a void in our world where there, there was once a gap and now it's full of ins and outs. <laughs> hey, nicely done. I'm taking that. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was yeah, really that was good. a good soundbite. <laughs> I'm getting better at those the more yeah. podcasts. You do. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. And um, I, let's stay in touch. Let's do this again sometime. A hundred percent. Thank you. You're welcome. Talk to you later. So fam, if you lasted that entire time, firstly, well done. I know there were some sketchy sound moments in there, but I hope you realize that it was worth it. Congratulations. You just had almost an hour with the incredible Dana Wilson. Boom. Please go check out our podcast and leave us both a rating and review on iTunes. Bye, peeps.